Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning. Good afternoon. It feels like morning. It is uh, very, very snowy here in Washington State. Uh, I'd say we've already probably got at least a foot and a half of snow. So they're not as good with the salt trucks here as they are in Minnesota for some reason. Um, I hope you guys had a uh, a wonderful holiday season and uh, holiday season. I guess it's still holiday season, right? Until we get to New Year's. Um, so I'm really tired. Really, really tired. Um, I think it's just emotional tiredness, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, so uh, lots think. Oh, it's 62 in Toronto, David? Really? Well, it is super snowy here. It is like a winter wonderland. Um, my kiddos are up at um, their mom's parents' vacation house, uh, which is just about two hours from here. And uh, I got pictures this morning of them in the snow. And man, the kids love the snow. They're mad at me that we left Minnesota because it's of the snow. It's 55 in LA. Steve, put on your put on your winter gear. Get your snow boots out. Um, I remember when I lived in Orlando, Florida, and if it went below like 70, we didn't have to like go outside for gym. Oh, I loved that was my favorite day. Is when we didn't have to dress up for gym. I actually failed my first year of gym. In case you're wondering how athletic the baker, the bakers are. Um, so yeah, it's the holidays. Um, this was my first Christmas on my own. Um, it was wild um, because my this was my Christmas with the kids, but their parents, their grandparents, live in Switzerland, so. Uh, they got to come in town, and I wanted them to be able to be with their family, their grandparents, on Christmas, and uh, they were all getting together. So we went ahead, and I did Christmas early with the kids, and it was really fantastic, and we had a blast. Um, little tree and lots of fun toys. Santa Claus shows up early for divorced parents. Um, very busy, Santa. Very busy, especially with divorce, parents, separated parents. Um, so they should add that in the movies that he leaves a week early for the, and and stays a week later. <laughs> <laughs> so the magic continues for those with uh, divorced parents, which is more than half of of uh, the world, I'm guessing. Um, but yeah, so we had a great time and. So it was really nice because my ex-wife um, gave me a really amazing card, um, which was really 
really nice and she gave me a bunch of um, gift certificates to the movies because she knew I wanted to just go like just just block everything out and go to the theater so yesterday I went and saw three movies <laughs> and uh, just hung out in the theater all day and uh, it was really cool so I actually the night before I went and saw another movie so I went and saw Spider-Man and I saw The Matrix and uh, the new Del Toro movie and um, Ghostbusters so yeah that's what I did for Christmas um, it was nice because honestly I mean like we have so many expectations on Christmas and uh, capitalism actually adds to that you know like oh look I love like the car commercials where they, they come out and like I bought you a Mercedes like you know who, who doesn't talk to their significant other before they buy a car but you know, there's so many expectations, and and, and so it, it's 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 tough. You know, like uh, holidays are tough, and you think about people you love and people you've lost, and and things like that. And uh, you know, so so I was a little bit worried about that. And honestly, the, the movie idea worked really well. I, I ate a little bit too much on the um, candy, probably. Now, I mean, I've had, I mean, it wasn't a sad Christmas. It was, it was good. It worked out well. So I'm not saying feel sorry for Jay. Um, I've had sad Christmases. The first Christmas I went to visit my dad in prison um, was me and my sister and my dad and, and us. And that was a really tough one. And also the last Christmas my dad was in prison where uh, my parents were divorced and he was in Jessup, Georgia in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. And um, I decided to spend Christmas with him, um, you know, but they only gave us, I think like a three hour visit that day, which was a shorter visit. Um, Cause I don't think it was a normal visiting day. And, um, and then I had to go back to the motel <laughs> and um and and eat christmas dinner out of the vending machine because the three restaurants in town were closed so i would say that was the saddest christmas i ever had was um was the christmas i spent with my dad in uh jessup georgia and i was probably around 17 or 18 um that was a bit, bit tough um but a whole day of movies was awesome I used to do that when I lived in Arizona, when I would have a day off from Revolution in Arizona, because it was like a thousand degrees during the summer. So, so often I would just like, and there there's like, as long as you bought something from the snack machine, they didn't, the snack machine, the snack booth, they didn't mind if you just went from movie to movie. So I would just get one ticket and just spend the day watching movies and eating soft serve ice cream in Arizona. But anyhow, there you go. There's my, that was my saddest Christmas. We're not here to talk about that. That was, that was just my teaser. That's just my monologue. Um, I can't believe it's snowing though. I did wake up really shocked. I actually woke up to um, my ex-wife sending me a picture of my kids in the snow and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're ecstatic. Um, but today's going to be a little bit of a sequel to last week. And I think it came up because of a lot of different reasons. Um, but one Christmas, 
Um, but the other one is, is that, you know, um, through some of the current work I'm also doing with my psychoanalyst work, with my psychoanalyst, um, has kind of brought up this idea of the split and, and contradiction, and he's actually influenced by Hegel, which is really interesting, um, and Freud as well, and a few other great people. He's a pretty dynamite analyst. Um, but yeah, but, but also the idea that Christmas is, is the contradiction manifested. And in a way, is it because God becomes man, yet is man and is still God? Like there's still a father-son situation, but they're one. So there's a huge contradiction there. Do you see that? The Trinity actually might help us understand sometimes how contradiction works and how sometimes contradiction can be higher than truth, if you will. Um, that concept of these, the three and one. But anyway, we're going to get into that a little bit today, but we're going to kind of do a sequel. And it is out of Todd's book, but I, I wasn't even thinking about the second part uh, that Todd wrote about religion last week when I was talking to you guys. I was like, oh, no, I, I don't need to do that one. And then, I, I don't know, I, I think it's just unconsciously I was like, something hit me and then it became conscious, you know, that like this is something we need to look at. Um, so Hegel, I'm going to, I'm going to once again, be talking from the emancipation after uh, emancipation after Hegel by Todd McGowan. Like I said, this is kind of the, um, second part two of last week, if you will. Um, I never do holiday themed talks, but I do think that this is, is, is an interesting way to do it. Um, but I have to read, but I'm not going to, you know, honestly, I love the Bible. No book has influenced my life more. Um, but it has led me to other things and other truths and other reality and uh, through philosophy. But, it's, but also the great thing is that the philosophy has brought me back to Christianity to make me see truths that we've never seen before. Um, I mean, like projection. For instance, you know, the idea of projection, you've heard, oh, somebody's projecting on me. Um, well, the ultimate idea of projection, if you think about it, is our sins being put onto Christ. You know, and Christ saying, oh, take your, we, so we project our sins onto Christ. I mean, so these, these concepts are so tied in, interesting, and intertwined with Christianity um, that it, it's pretty cool. But this is like, we're trying to look at a different, side of Christianity, not what most of us grew up with or most of us are rebelling against, um, but an essence truth of Christianity or maybe the reason why someone like Peter Rollins is, is a Christian, you know, what, what, what is there? What is that truth that is there that can go beyond even those of us uh, or those of you who say, oh, there is no God, you know, God beyond God. And not having a God. And, and so even if you're an atheist, these are truths that are still truths that we can look at and take further on. So there, there are some cr truths in Christianity um, that could probably uh, help. How about trying SSRIs? Um, 
I've, I've done a lot of medication. I, I don't know if that's what you're referring to, um, but I'm, I am on medication, but seeing an analyst is probably the best thing I've ever done, and I hope to get off of medication if I can. Um, because, uh, yeah, because what I've realized through seeing an analyst, I'm sidetracking here for a second, but what I've realized through seeing a psychoanalyst is the idea of, um, is the idea is that it's almost undoing work that I've learned with through therapy before and through, through even seeing psychiatrists who are like kind of drug dealers now. You know, you walk into a psychiatrist's office and they go, what's your prescription? How are you feeling? Great. All right, here you go. Bye. Um, so seeing an analyst, you know, you get undone the work that have, you've learned to cope because it teaches you how to cope. And you've learned positive coping mechanisms through a lot of therapy. But what the analyst is doing is stripping those free. And we're trying to get down to the very trauma that caused all this pain, that caused the need for all these coping mechanisms. So it's a stripping, and it's very tough because you're going to the to the heart of the trauma, and you're going to the heart of the darkness, and you're facing that, and you're realizing how much of your life and the lenses that you see your your life through have been been developed because of that trauma, and so in a way it is is helping you set you free from all that. So, um, you know, so now when I have an anxiety attack, uh, things I know is what's going on in my life? You know, why am I having a panic attack? What, what is not, what am I not dealing with? You know, starting to realize these things through facing that trauma. Um, but it's not for the weak of heart. I mean, it has really undone me quite a bit. It's been really tough to show up here every week and, uh, and do these talks and to be a parent and to do all that stuff because I have to deal with facing those issues, you know. But we're not going to get sidetracked today. We're going to talk about the split. Um, we're not, we're not going to get sidetracked anymore. <laughs> All right, guys. Psychoanalysis is amazing. And um, um, it is really tough. It's really helpful. And it's where all therapy comes from. So it is the base of therapy. The, the reason it's not more popular is because they liked, they would prefer to see you two to three times a week. And... Because of capitalism and because of big, uh, big insurance companies, they don't support it. So big insurance uh, doesn't want to support you actually getting fixed. And the big drug companies don't want you to get off of medication. They want you to stay there. And so that's why they pay our psychiatrists so much to continue to prescribe you medication. Capitalism is fun. All right. Back on track, folks. The punk rocker is going away and the past is going to show up. Um, but let's take a look at this. Um, when I'm reading from, um, once again, Emancipation, uh, after Hegel, McGowan, but don't worry, we're talking about Jesus for you religious folks. Um, when we grasp Hegel's conception of freedom and its relationship to the contradiction, the explanation for the privileged role that Christianity plays in his thinking about history becomes clear. It is not that him, he, Hegel simply prefers his own religion and that, it's, that, and, and that of Europe. Now, do you hear that? 
I, I want to. It's, it's not that it's just his religion and that it's the religion of Europe that that draws Hegel into Christianity. And I think that's what a lot of people would just be like, oh, well, he was a product of his time and blah blah blah, and you know, and things like that. And but also he was also the maybe the greatest thinker ever, one of the greatest philosophers ever. Uh, so pay attention, you know, it would be very easy for him to write off any religion. And, and for a time, that's what he did, is he just saw all religions as just, you know, just what we needed, you know, what, what our crutches. So, so let's, let's pay attention to this. This is important. Um, and the reason I say this is important is because intellect, because often... You know, we don't think of Christianity and, 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 and intellectuals going hand in hand. Um, but the fact is, is that a lot of the, a lot of intellectuals, a lot of great philosophers uh, do hold uh, certain parts of Christianity very important. Uh, even Paul is respected as seen as a philosopher. So I think it, it's important for us to see this because, you know, it's like, you can be an intellectual Christian, you can be an intellectual atheist, you can be an intellectual Buddhist, you can be an intellectual whatever you want. But the fact is, is that um, it, 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 these are good things to look at. You know, not everybody's like, hey man, I just think Jesus is cool and everybody else is dumb, you know. Um, so, here we go. It is not Hegel's simple, simply prefers his religion or that of Europe's, which is what it seems on the surface, um, McGowan writes. Christianity offers a philosophical insight that no other religion does. Now, this might be controversial because it's saying that no other religion does, so hold on to your socks. Um, the insight derives from the unprecedented act of divine humiliation that in that it enacts, and that is what Hegel finds so appealing about it. Did you get that? A divine humiliation. So what draws Hegel to Christianity is not just the concept of love, but divine humiliation. Are you ready for that? With the death of Christ on the cross, humanity is able to witness the contradiction at the heart of the divine. The revelation that the divine endures the tra tra travails of finitude. It is a moment in which the infinite shows itself as finite, an event that strips all authority from the divine. So all of a sudden, the divine becomes powerless. You see? And, you know, the divine becomes powerless, which is, which is really amazing. And, and um, it is the moment in which the infinite shows itself as finite. So there you have all of a sudden, something that's infinite now becomes finite. And so once again, we have that word contradiction. The problem is most people think of the word contradiction as a really bad term or that's something that's awful. Um, I remember that uh, uh, 
Chris Christopherson wrote a song about Johnny Cash, and he goes, and, and the line was, he's a walking contradiction and partly truth, partly fiction. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's kind of a burn for your best buddy. And the idea is, though, is contradiction is not always a bad thing. Matter of fact, most of the time it's not, and it's something that we all have to deal with. We all have to believe and grasp. Some we can change and some we can't. But there's also a time where contradictions, two opposites come together and a contradiction is created and it's something above truth. It's almost in the, in the way that um, uh, Tillich talked about the God above, the God beyond God. When the God of our own understanding dies, the God that shows up, that God. And that there can be a greater, something be above truth. I don't even want to say greater truth, but that which is above truth, which is a contradiction that lies within the contradiction. And what we're going to see is that Christianity is full of contradiction, but it is a word that so many people have avoided because they, they don't like the negative thoughts that come along with it, the negative connotations that come along with the idea of contradiction. But the whole Father, Son, Holy Ghost thing is a total, like, three in one is a contradiction. <laughs> Two in one can be a contradiction. Um, and so how do we embrace this contradiction to be a higher truth or a higher law or a better or more enlightening understanding? So at this moment in which the infinite shows itself as finite, the crucifixion, an event that strips the authority from the divine, God gives up God's authority. God does not cling to God's authority, right? Um, hey, uh, McGowan goes on to, to write, the divine humiliation that Christianity enacts follows directly from Christ's message of love. A loving God or a God capable of love cannot be a pure substance but must be a subject. Only divided subjects can love because only divided subjects can turn to the other to look for corresponding division. The message of love initially draws Hegel to Christianity, but it is the humiliated God entailed by love that sustains Hegel as a devotee. Devotee, devotee. So this, this concept is that even God must be split, and we see that with the Spirit, and we see that with Christ, and we see that Father, Christ, Spirit divide. Um, in my own work uh, with my analyst, you know, I'm dealing with young Jay that, and it's very confusing for me because it's adult Jay and then there's kid Jay, but kid Jay was never really allowed to be a very much of a kid in so many ways. And so the, the, the two become very confusing, but there's a split there. And, and even sometimes when suicidal ideation, ideation or whatever however you say it, suicidal thoughts come, you know, the analyst will say, well, what is, it, what is it you're wanting to kill? Is it not that you necessarily want to kill your whole self, but there's a part, is it within that split and that separate part of you? And um, it's really tough to, to grasp because you want to think that you're just a whole story, but um, often we split, we cut in a moment and go, no, I don't want, no longer want to be that person, I want to be this person. Um, and I like this is that a loving God or a God capable of love cannot be a pure subject, but must be a subject. So, you know, God must be split God's self and at the same time also have to interact with others. Um, so it's not this pure being, which, which 
would get a lot of us kicked out of our churches, but I don't have a denomination to kick me out right now, so we're good. Um, I'm going to go on because I think, I think Todd explains this a lot better than I do, so I hope you're, you're, you're going to stick with me here, even though I'm not the world's best reader. Um, the, uh, the event of Christianity mark the event the event of Christianity marks the end of history for Hegel, even though it takes fifteen hundred years for the whole world to register this end, which that's a very philosophical term. So he's not talking about the end of the world, but end of history, and it's something you have to spend a lot of time studying. So we're not going to get into that. Um, with Christianity, it becomes possible to recognize that even the highest authority imaginable. Even the infinite authority of God suffers from the same contradictions that beset the lowest subject. So when we hear things like, well, God is suffering with you, or God, is, and we think, oh, well, that's nice, God's like the, you know, like Daddy Warbuck, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll adopt you and give you everything. No, um, it's saying that God literally suffers. Uh, God suffers as much as, as, as the lowest person, as the person who's struggling with the mental health issues, as the person who's deeply divided in humanity. That, that, that God suffers from these same things. Now, I don't see God as a man in the sky, so I don't see it as, the, as that clear. I think this is more of an allegory. allegory, allegory. Then, then, then a factual thing. I don't think God is, is human form. I think God is, exists and, and does not exist at the same time, um, which is a whole other talk. Um, but anyway. Um, so when you see that even the, that all suffer, all suffer all fall short. In a way, it's not just saying us, it's also saying God. And so this is a different way of looking at things because a lot of us were raised that God was the victor, that God is in power, that God, you know, is perfect, and we got the gold streets and all these things. But for some reason, the insight that Hegel has is he's saying, wait, wait, no, but this doesn't make sense. And this doesn't add up. And in order for God to be who God says God is, there has to be pain within God. Um, I sent someone something the other day, and it was labeled contradiction. And they got back to me, and I could tell that they were upset. Like, why had I said the word contradiction? Not realizing that I was referring to the world as, as, as not only just conflicted feelings, but something that allows you to live above truth. It's not just like... I love you and I'm disappointed in you, but it's also the fact that I'm I'm with you in pain and in love. I'm with you in hurt and in hope. Um, and not only am I with you with that, I, I feel both those feelings. I, I, I'm angry and, I, I, and I'm in love. You know, these, these motions that come together and, and I mean, I, I think about your parents if you have issues. Think about people. Think about relationships. You know, and 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 the impo the possibility to have more than one feeling. I mean, we see that in Dr. King's work all the time. Is here he was loving his enemies, but of course there were times where he hated them and despised them and wanted to kill them. 
you know, but he had to have carry that, that contradiction and find this in between of saying, well, do I kill them? Do I love them? Well, how about I try to heal them and, and try to fix them? That's me just trying to whittle this, this philosophy down into more of a swallowable pill, if you will. Um, but Hegel does not end his account of history with the death of Christ or the edict of these uh, Selenica of 380 CE, the install of Christianity and religion in Rome. No, no, no. He goes, the decisive blow in the development of Christianity occurs with Martin Luther, who offers the subject a direct the subject, a direct relation to God. So what he's saying is, is when the Pope gets removed, when the mediator gets removed, and we are able to have a direct thing with God, uh, that's when Christianity is fulfilled. Um, uh, Tillich said, as long as the church functions... Not Tillich, I'm sorry, um, McGowan. As long as the church functions as a mediator between the subject and God, the subject could not partake in the freedom that Christianity enacts. Now, this is another thing that we've done is we get rid of popes, but we also then add in churches. And then we add in pastors, and we have these things, and we act as those, we, even if it's not consciously, we think, well, here is the person who believes on my half, or here is my mediator with God. And a lot of these times, those pastors act as though we have everything figured out. So you meet with us, and rather than saying, like, well, I've just read and studied a lot of books, so I might be able to help you with this and answer a question, you know, in some ways it's like, well, we are these special men of God, touched by the hand of God. And that's just not true. It's just God doesn't have any special people. Everybody's special, and then by everybody being special, that means nobody is special. You get it? There's your contradiction again. <laughs> We're all special because nobody's special. Uh, we're all loved, um, you know, and that's just it. So suck it up and, and enjoy it. That's just the way it is. And, and life is tough, and there are so many contradictions and feeling in that and so much suffering. But I'll tell you what, in the midst of feeling abandoned, the cross has given me a lot more hope. In the midst of feeling crazy and separated, thinking about Hegel's explanation of thinking that God must have division within God's self gives me hope. You know, and for me, it's not, I don't know. Let's just go with this and see what it says. Someone wrote, my mom says I'm special. Well, I'm sure you are. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course, I mean, my kids are special. That's what's great about being a parent. But God's our parent. So if God's the father, which one of your kids are your favorite? I don't have a favorite kid. I love my kids both because of the uniqueness and difference and special to me. I can honestly say that, which is pretty cool. So, you know, maybe that's why the father analogy works so well with God. So as long as the church has functioned as a mediator between the subject and God, the subject could not partake in the freedom that Christianity enacts. The presence of the church sustains God's obscurity for the subject. Do you understand? And we like to make God obscure. So the church, uh, which we're now gathering, but, um, <laughs> but we're still a collective that meet together. The church or the, um, the pope or the pastors often make God obscure. Um, 
I noticed that a lot back when the, you know, in, in, in the early 2000s when there was like the big um, neo-Calvinist uh, crave return, you know, and these guys were just like the mouth, mouthpieces of God for some reason, you know, and it was like they, they totally like made God obscure and angry and mean and a dick and sexist and really created God into this weird thing and they were going to like, this is the way it is, you know, and this is how it has to be. And I've had people, this is who God is and God feels this way, you know, telling me like, you know, and I'm like, no, you're obscuring God and, and, and you are acting as though you are God. And it's just, no, you're, you're actually, actually mentally ill because you think you're hearing voices, you know? Um, so there, take that. Um, sorry, I, I'm very practical when it comes to faith and Christianity. Um, hold on now. So the presence of the church uh, sustains God's obscurity for the subject and leaves God in a position where the divine contradiction does not become evident. So what we need to do is we need something that makes the divine contradiction evident. And if you want something that makes the divine Christian God evident, is trying to understand God on your own and through your own life and through your own studies and through your own, and you will see that that is evident, that the divine, there is a divine contradiction. There's not only bad contradictions in the Bible, there's not only forgeries in the Bible, but in our own faith itself within God, there is a divine contradiction. And it is so clear that just the fact that we have this thing called the Trinity is a huge divine contradiction and it's staring us in the face this whole time and it's often a symbol on the bottom of our Bibles and no one goes, oh, that's a contradiction. Um, I think we have a lot of comedians on, 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 on the comments today. Every time I glimpse up, I see something. I don't know if they're having a conversation or not. I just see, I only see like a little bit. History ends only when God of the beyond comes down to earth for the all subjects which is the Protestantism occasion. At that point, everyone can see the divine humiliation that transpires in Christianity. And the divine humiliation is the cross. Um, that was humiliation. That was mocked. Um, that was like, I don't know how, if you were any of the followers of Christianity at that time, the 12 uh, and, or any of the, also the women who followed Christ that weren't counted. You know, if, if you're any of these folks, that humiliation, that divine humiliation is something that you, that is, that makes no sense. That you're like, I don't think we can come back from this. I mean, people are like, why were they, why were Peter and all them back fishing again just days later? It was humiliating. <laughs> they were humiliated and they were like, I don't have time to sit in my humiliation. I need to go back to work. You know, this was, this was horrible. You know, we followed this guy around. We believed all these things and he's dead and he's gone. And I almost, I do believe that the reason Judas, Judas thought that Jesus was going to break chains free and, and, and run everything over. And, um, and Judas killed himself. He committed suicide because I think he was also thought in a way by betraying Jesus that Jesus would take his place as God and, and rule Israel because I think in their mind they, they, they were thinking very earthly. 
and um, when they realized when Christ when he realized that Christ was crucified and dead, he just gave up. He just said, "Well, I, my life's not only a lie, but I've also had this man killed," and he took his own life. Um, because I think I honestly believe that that Judas was thought he was doing something that would bring Christ to greater rule. But instead, God was humiliated. Now, there is a thing is that when, if you want to develop, if you want to possess, Christ, if you want to follow Christianity and see Christianity as your religion and that God is tied to Christ and Christ, then, then, then God is humiliated and then God is defeated and God is killed. And then you have to go to the Trinity and say, then God is abandoned by God. And so when we feel abandoned by God, God has also felt abandoned by God. Now that seems bizarre to say, but that's kind of where we get into this religious territory. Now I know it seems very down, you know, very uh, melancholy, but honestly, to me, this is, brings great hope. You know, um, brings great hope. I'll finish just reading a little bit of what here and sorry I'm going so long on this but I, I think it's important and I think Christmas is appropriate time for this to be honest with you if you're suffering through it um, the profound absence of God in Christianity is the source of the freedom that is provides that it provides this is what leads leads Hegel to make the impolitical remark that is, now this is, yeah, this is his not, this is Tillich's, this is Tillich's moment to be canceled here. Uh, Tillich, sorry, Hegel's moment. I'm getting everybody confused. Hegel's moment where he makes this remark. A human being who has not the truth of Christian religion has no truth at all. Did you hear what I <laughs> For this is the one and only truth. So, um, you know, right here it sounds like Hegel's not going to be very popular at the interfaith breakfast. Um, but let, let's go on and see what else Hegel, what, what, what Hegel means by this. Here Hegel not only fails to be a good multiculturalist, but he also theologizes truth, which would appear to make him a bad subject of modernity as well. Two strikes against him in a single sentence, but he doesn't strike out. The statement about the truth of Christianity is neither a failure of multiculturalism nor a retreat from modernity. Christianity is the one and only truth insofar as it proclaims that the subject must experience divinity through its humiliation. You understand that? That it's saying that one must experience its divinity through humiliation, which any modern subject, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, Jew, Christian, can be recognized that the divine doesn't exist beyond contradiction. Otherwise, one condemns oneself to unfreedom. So there must be contradiction. Protestant Christians imply freedom for all because it exposes the fundamental contradictions of God itself. 
It represents in advance beyond Catholicism. For Hegel, because it does not for Hegel, because it does away with the intercessor of the Pope, a figure that has the effect obscuring the subject of the divine, the true Christian ceases to be impressed by the glory of God. Did you hear that? The true Christian ceases to be impressed by the glory of God. The glory loses its ability to dominate the subject unsofar as it comes down from the beyond and exists in the finite form and dies. So the infinite is really willing to become finite, so finite that it dies, and that's what the idea of being finite is, is that we die. And that's why we, I've talked about before that I feel like the only thing that's infinite is love, because love continues and goes and passes on. But even the divine says, I've come in here and I will die with you. I will become finite. Um, the recognition of this heart of the divine announces the end of all slavery. Of course, slavery continues well into the era of Christianity, but for Hegel, it requires a betrayal of the foundation on which Christianity is built. History ends with the Protestant Christianity and the freedom that it unleashes, but most often, modern subjects take up a heretical attitude to their Christianity. And I think this heretical attitude is something that we'll all be familiar with, and that's another reason I wanted to share this today. Um, Hegel stands out as a Christian because he absolutely refuses heresy. And we're all going like, I'm a heretic. I love heresy. And Hegel's like, no heresy, man. Um, unable to confront the humiliation of God, most Christians restore the divine to the position that it has in other religions. So in a way he's saying like we, most Christians want to get, want victory, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. Want victory God, they do not want humiliated God, they do not want a God that is humiliated, they don't want a God that experiences, they don't want the infinite to be finite. Um, we give so much victory over the cross that I think we've missed the, we miss the reality of what the cross does and how the cross actually is the thing that makes Christianity a unique faith within itself by just trying to ignore it or use it as a moment of victory rather than a moment of shame, shame and humiliation and the end of God. Every claim that no one knows God's plan or I have faith in a man upstairs to guide me or we look to God for assistance in our crisis. Do you hear what he's, these things are being said? Because I know I've prayed out a million times and not heard back. Indicates a thoroughgoing abandonment of the basic tent of Christianity. God is no longer a mysterious being. And I wrote a book that said that God was, so Hegel's disagreeing with me, being existing beyond our beyond the contradiction of, contradiction of our existence. Now, that is true. God is no longer a mysterious being existing beyond the contradictions of our existence. The real heretics are those who cling to the unknown God in order to avoid confronting a divided God. 
Those who say, I do not want to confront a divided God, a God that is not perfect in the image that I've made God into, a God that is not, yes, a divided image that is the Father, but is also the Son. That is not also the humiliated Son who hung out with prostitutes, who drank too much, who hung out with tax collectors, was known as a traitor, who was killed with all this stuff. To, to say that there's not a split there, that there's not a contradiction there, to say that, you know, to, to miss out on that in a way, God's a mystery. We always say that when people die. My mom died. I prayed for her not to die. And there's something there to me that is greatly unjust, but also there might be the great contradiction of the finite and the infinite working together when that happens. Sorry, it got a little personal there for me for a second. So the real heretics are those who cling to the unknown God in order to avoid confronting a divided God. Um, Hegel recognizes that his version of Christianity is not the garden variety version. During his theorization of its link to freedom, he admits, we need to remember that we are not to be thinking of Christianity, of the man in the street, as whenever anyone makes it out to be. The problem with the Christianity of the man on the street is that he refuses the full weight of the divine humiliation and clings to the existence of an undivided God. For Hegel, the, rec the reliance from the average Christian does not have the power to block Christianity's philosophical revelation. It is the revelation that brings history to an end despite the regard, regarded efforts of most contemporary Christians. So, I mean, we're talking about even things like quantum physics here and things like that. I mean, it really gets deep if you wanted to go deeper into it. But my job is to try to simplify what I'm reading here and, and, and what, I'm, what my studies of Hegel and stuff so we could all better understand it and maybe encourage you guys to, to go deeper in your own life and in your own work and your own time. Um, but I believe that this, this is work that used to frighten me and, and because I wasn't an intellectual. And so I just started to try to teach myself how to read this stuff. And then with the help of people like Pete Rollins and uh, slowly getting to Tillich and then moving on to other folks from there, uh, really, you know, Dr. King and folks who are really brilliant and, and Freud, who's brilliant, but is a, is a simple writer. And then building on that. Those studies, I mean, this is what I'm trying to do with my work, is trying to take this, what people have said are the ivory towers and bring them down to earth a little bit so we can have these conversations because I think these are not snobby conversations. These are just people who had lots of time and lots of intellect on their, uh, high intellect and a lot of time to study these things and look deeply into these things and found things that would literally change the way we live, change the faith as we know it to be what it should be. And I want to bring it down for all of us to say, like, how can we make this? This is why this, Hegel's the same person who gives me the ideas of arguing well, you know, and having tough conversations, um, having... Uh, a Christianity that's more understandable, a Christianity that's more relatable. 
if you see that there's a contradiction in God, that God has suffering, that God has these things, you might start to understand why we suffer more. And it's not such a mystery. Because when the church sells us this, this uh, snake oil type God, this victorious God, we not only make Christ's death in vain, but we make God's suffering in vain. We make each other's suffering in vain. And then we start to think, well, there must be something wrong with us or there must be, uh, must be sin in my life, or it must be thing. But instead of realizing that, no, this is how the universe works. This is how time works. This is how humanity, humanity works. Um, just simple things for me to even boil it down to just, you know, one of the reasons I have trust issues with humans is not because humans are necessarily bad. It's that they are human, and that desire changes, and that needs change and wants change and so you have a hard time trusting people because they're just haphazardly human beings that we aren't perfect you know we we change our minds and and then that's okay but sometimes when you put your trust into someone and saying well they're not going to change their mind that's unfair and inhumane and what i'm saying is is maybe the way we've seen god is not in a way if we are made in god's image then maybe God suffers along with us. And maybe God changes God's minds. It's, it's, in the Old Testament, it's very obvious that God's mind changes. It's very obvious that if Christ is one with Jesus, if Jesus is one with God and Jesus is sitting there praying, take this away from me, this cup from me, Jesus knows that his Father is capable of changing whatever God is, its mind or thing or universe or or quantum mechanics or mathematical things. Um, I don't petition God with prayer anymore. It's, I just try to live life on life's terms. But today I'll leave you with this. If you don't think God is the God of Christianity or Christianity is, is, is a contradiction, um, just study the historical meaning of what it meant for Jesus to be crucified. That was, by all means, seen at the time as a huge failure. Um, I think that the New Testament writers took a little bit more liberty to to read and to, to, to explain it in a different way because they knew the ending. But if you were one of the disciples or you were the apostle or you were someone living within the midst of that or a follower of Christ, um, I don't think you, I think it would have been a horrifically great disappointment. And I'll even go this far as let's like let's just go literal for a second with the Bible and Jesus comes back as a ghost who can't be touched and things like that. And you're seeing Jesus and you're going, oh, okay, well, this maybe Jesus is just going to be like a ghost king, you know? And then Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 I'm leaving. I'm not staying with you. Uh, the idea of that, that God is going to abandon me again that Jesus, my friend, is going to abandon me again. Or somebody said, I thought Jesus was a zombie. Whatever Jesus was, I don't, I don't really know nor care. 
but the idea is, is that Jesus is, is, is going. Boom, gone. Again. These guys must have been like, what, this, what is this bullshit? I, I love that one part of the Bible where Jesus is like descending into the air and they're all going, surely that was the son of God. Like, that, like they're still trying to figure it out. Like, I don't know what the hell just happened, but I mean, that, I mean, that must mean, I mean, that must mean that's the son of God, you know? Um, and then, oh yeah, I'm going to leave the spirit with you. So now you've got me and you've got the Father and you've got the Spirit and we're all the same. And so go ahead and live with that contradiction. Usually contradictions are two things that don't match up, but I'm going to give you three things that really screw up, but they're also one and go ahead and live with that. And so there's your contradiction. There's your Christianity. Not only is it a faith of failure and disappointment, uh, not only is it a faith that, that embraces shame. Um, it's also a faith that embraces contradiction and is based and built on contradiction. And um, so, yeah, I see somebody, James just wrote something. Yeah, so when Jesus doesn't overthrow the government and 11 of those 12 disciples are all killed in horrific ways. And the women, I'm sure, are probably also killed. And then Paul comes along and, and, and changes, and then Paul's wrapped in dog skin, thinking Jesus is going to come back and is killed. Um, and wrapped in dog skin and fed to, to, to wild animals. Um, that's just the reality of this faith. You know? So if you're looking for a faith uh, that gives you some sort of earthly victory or earthly religion or happiness or purity and makes you and going to give you all the answers, Christianity is not for you. That's not your faith. Because um, this is a very complex, contradicting um, faith that is uh, at oftentimes very... Uh, had, uh, the infinite becomes finite. And often the finite becomes infinite. So this is a faith of contradiction. So I'm going to leave it there today. Happy holidays, guys. Um, I'll see you next week. Um, I, I've read some of your stuff. I think you guys are having great conversations with each other, so I'm just going to leave it at that because I think that, that it, it's heavy to end on that uh, Christianity is the faith of the contradiction. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.